Welcome to the Positive Education Podcast with Ash Manuel. As we know, the number one hot topic in the world is mental well-being. Ash has worked with close to 1,000 organisations impacting more than a quarter of a million people, including schools, sports teams and businesses across 45 countries. Today, Ash is regarded as a global thought leader in positive education. In this podcast, you'll hear stories, information and actionable ideas from positive education and well-being experts. The purpose of the podcast is so that you take away ideas that you can execute in your classroom, across your school, at your sports club and in your organisation, plus tips and tricks that you can apply in your own life. Hi everyone and welcome to the Positive Education Podcast. My name is Ash Manuel and today I'm talking with Amy Parkinson. Now, Amy is the founder of Wellness. Wellness takes a holistic, evidence-based approach to support staff wellbeing in schools. Now, I'm really excited to have Amy on the podcast because not only she has created the Wellness, but also she was a teacher for 12 years. She held leadership positions and, and also as a teacher as well. And I think it's really important when we are looking to embed a well-being culture across our school, but also within educators as well. So what we're going to do today, I really want to dive in and we're going to ask Amy to give some tips because one of our aims of the podcast is to give our listeners some practical ideas to take away and apply. So what we're going to do, we're going to dive into three actionable well-being tips for an individual educator, but also three actionable well-being ideas to implement across the school. Now, also, Amy is the host of the Wand- the Wonders of Wellbeing podcast, and she also uh, has a Master's of Educational Leadership, amongst other things as well. So really excited to dive into this episode. And without further ado, we'll get into it, and we'll welcome Amy. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thanks, Ash. Thank you so much for having me on. We were just saying that Gosh, we've got hundreds of mutual connections, um, but hadn't actually connected with each other on LinkedIn. Um, so it's it's so nice to to finally meet you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's such a great tool, LinkedIn, to uh, I guess like learn what other people are doing in, in the similar space, what we are as well, and, and learn from each other. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for coming on today. Now, one of the reasons why I really wanted to have on the podcast is because you have been an educator and you're a teacher and a school leader for twelve years yourself, and I reckon that's really important understanding how school works, particularly now that you're, I guess, um, started wellness and implementing like wellbeing programs in schools. I reckon it's really important to understand how school works. And so really interested to know, and just a question first up, how did you go from like being a teacher and a school leader to starting the wellness? Was there like a moment in time or something that stands out where you thought, I have to make the move and start what is now the wellness? Yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Um, I guess there definitely was a catalyst, um, which I will get to, but it's just a little bit of a, a pre-story that will help it all make a little bit of sense. Um, funnily enough, when I left school, I actually went to university and did event management. Um, yeah. I think I'd always loved school uh, and I had a great experience at school, but I think the thought of going back to school at that time, I think the corporate world was more appealing <laughs> to me, my 17-year-old self. Um, so I actually went into event management and after a couple of years of that, I soon realized that I wasn't getting the meaning and purpose in in that. So I transitioned to teaching and in my first year out, I scored my first full-time job 
second year out, um, I found myself in a leadership position. And then the third year out, uh, I started my master's of educational leadership. So those first three years were jam packed. Um, and whilst I learned a lot from all of that, when I reflect back on it, I just think, oh, wow, um, there was a lot happening there. And there's no wonder that, um, I got to the point that I got to. So, um, I guess the first initial, um, catalyst for me and my interest in wellbeing was when um, the leadership team at the college I was working at at the time went on a leadership retreat. Uh, and I don't think I had thought anything about the retreat prior to going, to be honest. I think the the demands and the roles and responsibilities were, were so big at the time and the to-do list was so big that it was almost a um, an inconvenience <laughs> to be going away for the two days at the time. But the conference was about vulnerability. Uh, and over the course of the three days, Ash, it was so humbling, um, refreshing, um, and um, what would the other word be? I always try and be careful with what words I use because this was such a powerful time. Um, and I guess reassuring to me that actually leadership well above what I was at at the time were really struggling too. And they actually opened up about that. And we unpacked that over the three days. And it was a really, really powerful conference. Mm. And when we got on the bus and went back to school, I thought, things are going to change. We've all addressed that there's concerns, you know, within the system and within the college and within, you know, when we're talking about the the well-being of staff, even though that wasn't the focus of the conference, that's what came out, things are going to change. And when we got back to school, nothing changed. Mm. Um, and I think that was when I realized two things. One, how how I was responsible for my own well-being and wellness, that there were things that no one else was responsible for except me. And secondly, that the schools didn't know what to do. The leadership didn't know what to do with what, you know, um, was was shared at that conference. And I think they kind of just put it to the side and moved on and weren't sure what to do. So I think that's when I first realized that, okay, hang on a minute. Wellbeing is huge in schools. It's something I didn't learn at university. And actually, this is something I'm interested in. So I started to research it and I upskilled myself and I got my, you know, gave my, um, did some things to get credentials in the area. Um, and whilst we were in Tokyo, I worked over in Tokyo for two years. And whilst we were over there, I started a podcast and just started to form wellness so that when we got back to Sydney, I, I did it full time. Um, things, of course, over those, gosh, that conference would have been 2016, no, two, yeah, 2016 probably. Um, so it's been quite quite a time from when I first realised to, to me actually going out and doing my own thing. Um, but I think that's, yeah, that's why I'm here today. And that's kind of the story um, that goes along with where we're at. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great story. I love hearing how people came to be where they are. And it's very similar to mine. I was a teacher and uh, not so much I went to a conference, but just came across positive psychology thing back in about 2010 and realised just like learning a skill in a sport, you can practice to be more resilient and happier and um, do the thing like things could be going really well, but do these little seemingly insignificant things on a regular basis that can really help, particularly if you're going through a bad time. So you're, like, you're sort of building yourself up um, without really, I guess, knowing it too much. But when challenging times do happen, you've got these skills to call on because you have been practicing. Um, Absolutely. And I also learned that. And our school at the time in 2014 that I was at, um, we were looking for a wellbeing program to run or quite early mm -hmm. adopt space, but we weren't really sure what to do. Like yeah. at leadership at your school, like great ideas, but how do we implement this? And that's when I just had that like aha moment type thing as well, where you think, well, what what can we do to implement a whole school approach? And that's when the idea just came um, for myself as well. And 
Yeah, really interesting story. And where where did you? So you were teaching. Have you taught in the international system of um, the whole time? I know you said you were in Tokyo. Um, and is that your focus with the Well Nest International Schools or schools locally as well? What, what's how do you how do you go about yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. I did. I only did two years uh, internationally, and that was in Japan, in Tokyo, uh, and the rest has been here in Sydney, Australia, across various schools. Yep. Uh, and wellness um, was originally primarily for Australia, um, but I actually have had engagement in international schools, and having had that experience, um, I'm also open to that as well. So I'm not doing one or the other. Um, I originally thought it was going to be Australia, but gosh, if I can help the international circuit as well and the IB world, um, yeah. having come, had experience in that as well, um, then we're yeah, getting great results doing that over there too. Yeah, absolutely. And the great thing about it is a lot with the power of the internet and um, you don't necessarily, I mean, it's good to do things in person, but you don't necessarily have to be um, there all the time as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, what's um, with the wellness in particular, what sort of, what do you focus on? Like, is it educators? Is it students? Is it the whole school approach? And what, what sort of philosophy do you use with the wellbeing there? Absolutely. So our main focus is the wellbeing of staff, um, administrators, educators, non-teaching staff, school leaders, middle leaders, um, or the, the collective staff. And our philosophy really is that if we're not well, how can we teach and lead well? Mm, yeah. In its simplest form. Um, again, I could go on and on about that, but that's really is its simplest form. Um, and whilst I... There is so much, of course, in my heart as an educator of, of many years, the well-being of students is incredibly important as well. Uh, I just feel within myself that supporting the staff is something that that really drives me and that in order for us to be able to implement all these amazing things for the students, we ourselves need to be well. So a lot of what we do is about connecting to meaning and purpose in what we do, whether that be us as an individual educator, whether that's us as a team, um, or most importantly, us as a school. Um, and you know, I think we were in obviously survival mode during the pandemic. And whilst we have come out of it, the traumatic experiences, I think for both, both personally and professionally for educators around the world, um, is still, is still there. And I think we haven't reconnected back to actually the vocation of teaching in some settings. Um, I was teach, I was talking to uh, a head of a school um, in, a, in a state here in Australia a couple of weeks ago. And we were just talking about staff wellbeing and just getting different perspectives and insights and just having a really good chat with no real intention other than talking about the wellbeing of staff in schools and the education system and where we're at. And he shared a really interesting um, statistic around the state that he was in didn't have um, lockdown or school closure for very long at all. Mm. In fact, it was only a couple of days um, that they were uh, not at school. Was that South Australia? It was, it was, he was talking about, yeah, he was talking about um, the, the, um, the way that educators in that state have stuck to the fact that so much had changed for them during that time and they're still trying to recover mm. and him feeling like a little bit of that is being taken on by the media that they're reading and the, you know, the articles that are out there and almost attaching to what happened for others as their own personal, con personal connection. Yep. And how do we break that when that actually wasn't our reality? Mm -hmm. When a lot of the things that they might be referring to, you know, we keep sort of saying, but that wasn't our context. You know, that didn't change for us. So how can we help you if maybe something in your personal life has affected that? So I just thought that was really interesting that there's still so much dialogue and conversation around the pandemic and there's still a lot of exhaustion um, and a lot of fragile educators out there since their world turned upside down with the pandemic. Yep. Um, and when we moved to Japan, 
we were we moved during COVID, uh, the beginning of COVID, and we had to quarantine for two weeks. Oh, wow, and yeah. we're on Amazon, you know, like buying everything that we could, not IKEA, and you know, like just doing whatever we could in the house for the two weeks. And what popped up was Ikigai, the book mm-hmm. Ikigai, um, on my like suggested purchases. And I thought, I have heard of this book. I've never sat down and read it. Hey, I'm in Japan, why not? So I ordered it. Ash, and so much of what I read resonated with me around education um, and almost educators well-being, staff well-being, because I'm not sure if you know much about Ikigai. Yeah, um, I read the book. Um, yeah. A little... I actually interviewed uh, in the episode um, before, episode uh, 29, you're 30, um, okay. John Kelly, who started a college in Mexico called Collegio Ikigai. Um, Amazing. So, yeah. So John's um, or connected with him on LinkedIn actually, and he yeah. he like for philosophy. So he actually started a school himself as a teacher. Wow. He actually started a school in Mexico based on that philosophy. But for those who don't know, what is Ikigai? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to have to look him up and look the school yeah. up um, and jump on for a chat because that is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, so Ikigai. Every time I talk about Ikigai, I do also recognise cultural appreciation knowing that we can't pick something up from one culture and just put it somewhere else, but it's more the philosophy around it and this idea of, of living your best life. So the, 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 the philosophy is that everyone has an ikigai. Some people have found their ikigai. Some people are still looking for their ikigai and some people's ikigai changes. And in the heart of Japan, this philosophy exists that it's this almost like this pursuit Um, of a life filled with purpose and passion and satisfaction in what we do. So pretty much why it is, what's our reason for being? Why is it that we get up and do what we do? Um, And in the context of schools, this principle of of ikigai to me resonates really deeply. Um, And the fact that nurturing staff wellbeing involves creating an environment where educators are feeling valued, where they're feeling supported, they're feeling empowered, um, not only for their, their passions and their skills, but also with a vision of what everyone's working towards. And I think because since the pandemic, things kind of flipped, I think schools have found it hard to reconnect back with what their purpose and and vision and mission is. Mm. Um, And obviously the individual is responsible for things, which we will obviously get to, but as a collective, there's so much that falls in why teachers turn up to school each day outside Mm. of them just standing in front of the kids in their class and delivering, you know, the content and, and connecting with them and building relationships that there's so much in that system around them and that direction from leadership in what it is that the meaning and purpose is of, of turning up each day. That's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also educators just reflecting and reconnecting with themselves again in, in, in the context that they're in and what actually is their meaning and purpose in what they're doing. Because I think we're getting so caught up in the demands and the administrative tasks that we're then losing the passion um, for the vocation of teaching. So um, there's a lot of, of what we do um, when we're talking about staff wellbeing that connects very much back to strategic vision of schools and the meaning purpose um, that schools have as to why they're doing what they're doing and what their vision is to then unpack all the other layers that that fall under wellbeing in, in staff. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. That's amazing. And and I'll put a show in the show notes, I'll put a, a link to that book that you're talking about, yeah. Amazon Link, because it's a really good book. Um, it's one of those ones that you probably could come back to a couple of times as well. I have read it once and because I read, I try to read, you know, personally, I'll read a book and I'll read it all and then I'll move on to the next one. And it's good to actually go back and revisit books because then it sort of yeah. just embeds what you've read. So I have to go back and um, read it again just to yeah. um, get uh, the full gist of it again, just to yeah. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. Um, I think, 
Sorry, yeah, go. Uh, yeah, you go. You're. I was just thinking if you guys also that book where there's so much that comes out of it in terms of how you can reflect on yourself that I think sometimes you need a bit of time in between each chapter to just stop and reflect mm. because I read it all in one go. Again, I was in quarantine and I think I was a little bit overwhelmed by, by it, but also I think like chapter one or two, I was still, I could feel my mind still processing that part when I had finished the book. And I thought, I think I've like actually not really understood and obtained what was in, in that middle bit either, because I was still thinking about the beginning. So it's really one of those books that needs a little bit of time to sort of unpack and reflect in, in such a powerful way. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite a, it's an easy book to read. It's like quite short, like the pages yeah. aren't yeah. like too long and it's quite big writing. So it doesn't yeah. <laughs> take that long. Yeah. But, um, absolutely. Oh, in a minute, we're going to get into some actionable ideas that um, teachers and in individuals could uh, implement for themselves and also you know, ideas for around the school. But just going back, Amy, to what you were saying about school vision and, I guess, culture in a way. Now, even before the pandemic, and our majority of all the work that personally I do is with students, um, mm -hmm. but just having teaching experience and being in a staff room myself and being around teachers, it, it can be quite a negative place, staff rooms. Um, yeah. as a as a general rule, like a lot of like we don't talk about a lot what is going well. We always talk about that student who's annoying us, yeah. <laughs> or a parent yeah. who's a pain, or a colleague who's been a pain, or however you want to describe them. Do you, are you finding that there's a lot of negativity within schools, and even like a couple of little oh, Facebook groups that I'm a part of? I would say ninety percent of the chat is people whinging. Um, and these are teachers. So what, what what's your take on, I guess, the general, I know it's a pretty general thing because I'm sure all schools are different. Some are going to have great cultures and really positive, I guess, energy and um, great things happening. And then there's the other that probably don't. So as a, as a raw, I guess, a, generally, where, where do you see that? Yeah, oh, I totally agree. Mm. Um, I totally agree. And I think there's still... Again, I, I feel like I've mentioned the word, the, the pandemic a lot in this session because I feel like whilst it was a catalyst for some things and maybe... Um, I was asking before you say that. Yeah. Do you think it's an excuse? It might be rough. I think, I think, I think, it's, I think it definitely has had an impact and so then it's kind yeah. of the go-to excuse. Yeah. But I, I really do feel like that for many states, it really did flip things and there's a lot yeah. of deep work that needs to be done to, to reset. Yep. But then, as as we've shared for South Australia and things, that they've then just fed on to media mm. um, that may not have impacted them personally, but they're a little bit begrudged before. And so they've kind of grabbed yep. onto that. I think, Ash, I think language just plays such a huge part. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that does stem from leadership. And I know that that doesn't mean that leadership can control conversations that are happening in the staff room. Yep. But there is a way that they can help set cultural expectations um, around that. But it's not easy. Uh, and there's, I think it's that, that cultural part and that language part comes from the deep work of staff wellbeing um, that then sort of ripple effects. Mm. So when staff are feeling like their wellbeing of themselves, person, like personally, but also professionally is being addressed um, and then things are being put in place in terms of policies and procedures to support Anyway, we'll get into that a bit later because that's kind of yeah. a complicated part. But I do feel like that ripple effect is super important. And but I also agree with you that there's a negative environment, um, and I don't think that there's any you know light switch that we can put on or click our fingers and just sort of say that the you know everything everyone's too negative and we now need to look at it positively. I think there's a lot of work culturally that needs to be done, yeah. um, and a lot of that does I think come back to 
meaning and purpose in, in, in communication that schools have with why they're doing what they're doing and why they're making certain decisions and how that links to um, strategic vision. And, you know, there's so much in that that I think has just gotten a little bit lost because there's so much admin, you know, there's so many other things. Like if you've got a strategic plan on a document and that's from 2013 to 2017 and it's a piece of paper that just sort of sits there and all this other stuff piles up, it's kind of left and it's not referred to and decisions aren't made based on it. And um, I think a lot of that is impacting the way people are feeling um, when it comes to to their job. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't, when I said excuse, I didn't mean to sound harsh. I just really no, I, it's true. I thought, yeah, I wasn't quite sure where that was was at. And obviously, you working with teachers, you have a lot more idea yeah. than I do. But it's um, and and just mentioned interesting there, like the work piles up, and it's just got to a stage where it's data collection. Like yeah. there's so much data that needs to be collected to tick boxes, and if we can somehow, I think, uh, take that responsibility off the teachers, I don't know how, then they yeah. can get back to teaching. And I reckon that's going to have a massive yeah. impact on their well-being and a culture of the school. What, what's your thoughts on that before we get into a few actionable oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I also think sometimes we're, we're, we're used to what we're used to mm. and we don't sort of think about maybe how fortunate we are that we've got certain resources and access to things that actually helps us with mm. assessment and data at the same time. Like we're kind of, again, perceiving it as, you know, a, a pile on of workload and expectations and gathering the data and then what do we do with the data? And so I think there's, there's a, and, and that plays an important part in education. Yes. But I think sometimes we forget the the access that we've got to resources that help us actually collate that data and spit that data out a lot quicker than what we had many years ago mm. to collate and collect that data. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Like, I think yeah, sometimes we, we're, we're not, yeah, we're not sort of thankful for the fact that I can actually just type that result into my computer and that's then going to give me my average and this and that, and then I can put my report comments in and it, and even though it's still tedious and it's not something that teachers necessarily enjoy doing mm. that actually, how lucky are we that we've got access to those resources to help because 10 years ago it was pen and paper and it was writing that, that, that grade in your grade book and opening that grade book up and typing that in. So I think there's elements where, again, trying to reframe our thinking about being resourceful mm. with the resources that we have yep. is a powerful way to help with language and, and attitude and, and motivation around what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to put, put you on the spot, is, do you know any of the resources off the top of your head that could be helpful for a... Oh, I probably, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, uh, they're there. They're because there. they don't connect. Yeah, they're not necessarily. And schools are have got all different systems that might connect their data collection with their attendance records, with their medical. So it's more that those kind of resources as opposed to an app or something that you can just sort of plug it in. It's again, it's more that strategic kind of how are we trying to structure how we do things to make it as efficient as we can, um, but also as effective as we can Mm -hmm. to support the well-being of staff and their work-life balance and all of those things that come into them feeling good and, and functioning effectively in the workplace. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, I mean, let's get into some actionable ideas. Now, mm. we'll start with um, individual educators. So maybe we'll go three of each. So what is three actionable well-being tips for an individual educator? Awesome. I thought here, um, maybe for, for people who are listening, who are a little bit unsure, I could just define the difference between well-being and wellness yeah, cool. um, for people. So I guess how, how I kind of describe it when I'm, you know, running a workshop or, or at a conference is in its simplest form that well-being is the state of our mind. 
So whether that be our emotional, our physical, our psychological, that state of our mind is that kind of that deep thinking part um, of us feeling good and functioning effectively, as Dr. Felicia Hubert says. And it's kind of unpacking, unpacking what it means, I guess, to feel good and function effectively, but then reflect on how we are functioning versus how we want to, <laughs> um, and then then trying to come up with ways that we could make those changes. So it's more about the state of our mind, whereas our wellness is the state of our being. So the actionable part of that habitual behavior that we have and the change behavior that we'd like that has an impact on, on how we're feeling and how we're functioning. So well-being being more about how we're feeling and wellness being more about what we're doing mm. um, to support that well-being. So I guess my first um, actionable tip or something to get, to get teachers and educators to think about is ex- first, firstly and foremost, accepting and recognizing their own responsibility for their well-being and their wellness. Yeah, I think that is just such a crucial part. And they might just say, oh, yeah, I know. But have you actually stopped and thought about it and how much what you're responsible for is impacting your day, mm. whether that's your sleep, how much sleep you're getting, what you're eating in terms of nutritious meals, your physical activity and your movement, hydration during the day, the rest that you're giving yourself, what's in your stress toolbox. So all of those wellness things, the things that you're actually doing that may be impacting how you're feeling. Mm. Um, No one is going to tell you when to go to bed, when to stop marking, what food to pack for lunch, how often to stay hydrated, ways to stay hydrated during the day, when you should rest. So, so much of that actually does for individually on the on the um on the teacher and then when we're talking about the well-being part of a of a teacher it's again connecting back to that meaning and purpose which I know I'm kind of going on and on about but really reflecting on why it is that you're doing what you're doing and why you love what you do and why it's got an important part in 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 who you are and why you do what you do um but also starting to reflect on like your your resilience toolbox and how you can you can pull on those to support how you might be feeling at different times. And your self-awareness is is mm. huge. I could do it. We could do a whole session on self-awareness. That's huge. Um, and the self-compassion that you've got for yourself. So just sort of accepting and recognizing that actually I am responsible for a lot of it. Mm. And actually, how am I, how much responsibility am I accepting versus how much blame I'm putting? on others or the system or the school. And whilst there may be things and there are things that the system and schools are getting mixed up or not doing. And, you know, again, we could, we could go on and on about that, but what are, I think my first actionable thing is actually just stopping and thinking what part, what am I doing for my own wellbeing and wellness Mm. and what response and the responsibility that I have in that. I think that's my first, I know that might not be, you know, you should be going to bed and getting seven to eight hours of sleep um, because they can Google that and find it. I think it's deeper than that. And it's actually this acceptance and and, and recognition as the first one I've got there. Oh, that's, I mean, (laughs) that's exactly, it's funny you say that because the self-awareness part, like I even, so I even talk about this student. So one of the activities you do is talk about mood shifters. So if you're having a bad day, um, this is more from a bad day point of view or a bit of a challenging time. Like, well, it doesn't matter. So I should start again. You could be in a great mood. So being self-aware of that, you're in a really good place at the moment. But I guess from a preventative point of view, knowing that being self-aware, okay, I'm not at my best today, but it's up to me, responsibility. So taking ownership to improve my mood and finding out what works for you is really important. And like for me, exercise is the number one without a doubt. Like if I'm in a bad mood or having a bad day, I know in, in a classroom, if you're having a bit of a rough time, you can't necessarily go out and do exercise. <laughs> yeah. Walk around at recess or lunchtime on yard duty. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's such an important thing to know what works for you and what works for me might not work for you. But having that 
those mood shifters that do improve your mood is really important. And just to add one more thing before we go on to number two is, I remember my the principle that I had, I actually live in um, South Australia, so that's why I thought, um, realised that you, when you were talking about before about the lockdown, there wasn't too much yeah. here. There was a little bit, but not too much. Um, and when I was teaching, my, the principal who I was under at the time, we had a conversation one day and I clearly remember him saying like, teachers need to be responsible for their own well-being because um, after well, graduate might not quite know, but after you've been teaching for a while, you know what you're getting yourself into. So it's it's a challenge. It can be a challenging role. So, but you need to be number one at looking after yourself. And I couldn't agree with that more. And I'm really happy that you yeah, said that. <laughs> absolutely. And I love what you've said there about recognizing and acknowledging also that it ebbs and flows, right? Mm. That our well-being and our wellness, it's multidimensional. It means different things to different people. But at the end of the day, how are you that ended at the end of the day, you want to be feeling good and functioning effectively mm. as a as a as a benchmark. That yeah. doesn't mean it's going to be all day, every day. Some days it's going to be better than others. It's going to ebb and flow. And as you said, having having those tools that you can use and knowing what works for you when maybe it is ebbing, but also also when it is flowing, um, how you can manage that as well. Um, I also think, Ash, you've just touched on a really interesting point there as well around teachers and, and, and educators and non-teaching staff and administrators having a, a perception and almost a bit of an expectation on what leaders are responsible for and, and and what changes they need to make. But also leaders, as you've just said, sharing that, that the responsibility that staff have. And I think we're almost getting to this point where leaders are feeling so frustrated that their staff aren't doing what they need to for themselves, that they're even more resistant to bring people in to support it. That's what I'm just starting to feel a little bit is that it, it, it it's both. And if we can address both at the same time, yeah. that's where the magic is going to happen. But you have to educate staff. You know, yeah. school leaders need to be giving staff the opportunity to upskill themselves into how actually they can look after themselves in today's world, mm. in the education world that we've got today. So yeah. I think that's a, that yeah, that's a really interesting point that you made there. And I guess those, what you're talking about, and I guess what I touched on as well, it's not necessarily, I mean, we're talking about educators here, but it's for everyone really, isn't it? It doesn't matter yeah, what you're doing. Um, it's just absolutely. a life skill. Um, all right, we'll keep moving. Abby, number, another one, number two. Yeah, I think the other the other one is the, the actionable part, like yeah. actually doing something. Um, and whether that be that you've already got a vision and now you've just got to change your habit or you don't really have the vision yet and you've got to create that vision. So much of our habits are connected to our identity and who we want to be and how we want to show up and how we want to be remembered and, you know, all of those things about our identity and who we are. Um, and James Clear, I'm not sure if yourself or yet, yeah, um, listeners have listened to Atomic Habits. It's yep. just like the book. Um, and I just love his 1% better each day. Mm. And I just thought that that is an actionable thing, you know, as a takeaway thing for teachers. Again, we could sit here and list a whole bunch of things that they could find on our website or they could jump on in Google about what they could do, but it's actually just taking away that I just need 1% better each day. Yeah. So if I'm trying to get a little bit more sleep, I can't go from getting five hours of sleep to eight hours of sleep and expect that to just happen overnight. <laughs> that it's that 1% better each day yeah. is such a powerful thing I think for educators to remember rather than overwhelming themselves with with what they want things to look like and how quickly that change happens um, and whether they be yeah actionable steps around their sleep or their nutrition or their hydration or connecting back to their motivation or their resilience toolbox or whatever that action is that they're trying to upskill themselves with or to set a new routine or behavior change is just trying to remember that one percent better each day is the goal yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. And I think those little habits, just those little habits, like it might yeah. not seem much on the day, but yeah. 1% each day over 365 days is absolutely 5% better, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's so true. Like it's just those, and um, I've read that book, James Clear's. Uh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. But also um, another book, which is probably similar philosophy, but was written a while ago, it's called The Slight Edge. And by a guy called uh, Jeff Olson. And he talks about just doing similar things, just doing these seeming little insignificant things each day, build up over time can lead to big results. Awesome. Um, and it's making, um, and also another quote, he didn't say the quote, I can't remember who it was, but one of my favorite quotes is, most things in life are easy to do and easy not to do. So yeah. it's quite a lot that anyone, it's not exactly the yeah. same as that, but yeah. so it's easy to like, cook a healthy meal, but it's also easy to go through the drive through McDonald's. Like, yeah. Also yeah. easy to sit on the couch, but it's also easy to go for a walk or go to the gym. Um, yeah. We're fortunate enough to have access to these things, like particularly in Australia where we live. Um, but it's just making those choices well, at least 80% of the time, that 80-20 rule, 80% of the time that will um, show improvements. And I think it's very similar to the um, Atomic Habits philosophy as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we just live in a society where everything's just so efficient and quick and at the ready that... I think my my beautiful mum has always said to me and still says to me all the time, Ames, nothing worthwhile is easy. Yeah. And I think sometimes we just expect things to just be and change and happen and so quickly that we forget that actually, especially the wellbeing game, it's a long-term game yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it is a commitment um, and it doesn't happen overnight. And that actually, even though, you know, it's not easy, it will be worthwhile, um, you know, down the track that I just think yeah, super powerful in, in that 1% that you're doing each day to make a change in whatever it is that you're, you're choosing to change. Yeah, I totally agree with what you said what your mum says like and those things don't happen overnight like not yeah. not many things do happen overnight like especially if they're like big goals or worthwhile and that's the thing patience but just consistent daily action and i think once you put one little habit in place it's like that um it's like uh, the keystone habit another book yeah. habits is um the power of habit by yeah. charles Dudig, and he talks about that yeah. keystone habit which is just taking on one habit that you want to start and then building habits into it um and absolutely go on Mm, excellent absolutely it's like going for it's like wanting to go for a wanting to get fitter so you might start by doing a little bit of stretching and then mm. you might actually say okay i'm now going to go for a walk and now when i get back from the walk i might do a couple of push-ups mm. and now i'm going to do a walk push-ups and and just starting to slowly build the again the more you start to feel good mm. and function effectively and you start to see the positive effects um that it's having in, in your system and in your body uh the more inclined you are to to add to it so and just oh, on top exactly right and on top of that like you think about it, in a year's time, we're going to be, well, hopefully we'll be here. So you must be working towards something that's going to benefit you mm. in time rather than, I guess, spiraling down. Like, let's see if you can go on an upward curve and just putting these apps. And it doesn't have to be hours and hours a day. It's just these little things. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll keep moving. That's a, it's a great yep. tip. But Third one. <laughs> three, one more for the education or educators. Yeah. Ash, I think a really big one that maybe people don't expect or do expect is around relational support mm. and the power that that has to put our hand up and say, Hey, I need some help or Hey, I need some support with this, or I need your advice on this, or I need your opinion on this. Um, and allowing educators to have some space to reflect with a trusted support person um, to unpack, to literally unpack the complexity of the demand. There's so much emotion that's held in the profession of teaching um, so much of what we do is relational. And in that, 
we then are extremely emotional creatures as humans and we take on a lot as educators and then have our own that unpacking um, that and having that relational support is so important. Um, I was recently at the PISA conference in Sydney and one of the keynote speakers um, biggest or my biggest takeaway uh, was around encouraging educators to go back to their school and put their hand up and say, I need help. Mm. I need support with this because I think we, we're very, um, we're very proud people as educators um, in what we do and how we do it and that we can do it because that's what we do um, without having that vulnerability to say, actually, it doesn't mean I'm not good at it. I just need help with this at the moment. Um, I heard this analogy. I went um, back to Japan in July, uh, August to present at a conference over there. And I heard this analogy of a sticky note when we were talking about relational support. And I just thought that's fabulous. So I guess one of the, I guess the takeaway with this analogy is being careful about who you rely on for that relational support. And that it's not always the same consistent person because of the impact that it may be having on them. So this idea of a sticky note, and if I've got something that I need to share, I need some support around and I get my sticky note and I stick it on that first person. It's super sticky, Mm. right? And then the more that it's passed on to different people, it gets less sticky. But if Mm. I keep putting that first sticky note on the same person, what impact is that then having on me? I might feel better because I've kind of offloaded it, got their thoughts, and then I can move on. But if I'm putting that sticky note on that same person all the time, what impact is it having on them? Um, so when we're talking about relational support, it's just being mindful of, yes, we need a safe and safe space, but it always being the same person that we're relying on is something that we need to be a little bit mindful of. Um, Dr. Susie Green talks about the power of coaching and the power that it has in, in the space of wellbeing and education. And she says that it's coaching's the secret source um, when we're trying to, to contextualize and personalize the science of wellbeing, um, especially for staff wellbeing and the power that coaching has. And that I think of, of all the things that we do at Wellness, my one-on-one coaching sessions are by far what I, I personally get the most fulfillment and meaning and purpose in um, because that's where I see so much growth because you're an external person giving an educator space to unpack, to reflect, and to actually problem solve on their own. Not to sit there and tell them what to do, but actually to create space for them to reflect. And it is so powerful. So whether that relational support is someone, is an educator, um, a colleague, someone at home or an external um, support, it is so important. And I just think that that is one actionable thing that people in education tend to not do. Yep. That is just extremely powerful. Absolutely. I, yeah. Couldn't agree, any more, couldn't agree more. And and strongly encourage educators if you are struggling, ask for help. And I guess, and just be, um, I guess, be that's self awareness as well, isn't it? Like in terms of knowing that you need help, but then taking ownership to ask for it, but also being self aware, maybe not to rely on that one person over and over again. Because absolutely, of the reasons that you gave that they're fantastic uh, tips, Amy. Now maybe we'll go for um, just a couple on a um, some ideas that you could implement or a school could implement across the whole school um, would be. Yep. Well, yeah, I, I saw this question. I thought, oh, this might be a little bit hard for me to answer um, when each school is so unique uh, and each school has has such varied strategic vision. So at wellness, we work so closely with strategic vision. Um, and whilst staff wellbeing may be on all strategic plans, sometimes for a tick box, mm. um, for a tick tick box, but also um, in in many cases of schools that I work with are there to actually implement some change. Um, it, it can feel overwhelming 
to school leaders, um, I think before they sit down and meet with a consultant around being overwhelmed about what might have to change and just thinking that's almost in too hard basket because organizational change is so complicated. Um, so I thought I would just really briefly just run through, I guess what our process is at wellness so that if there is someone listening whose school is at a certain process, a certain part, maybe in their own, in their own process, but they hear me say something they're like, Oh, we're there. What could we now do might just sort of help because me sort of just saying this, this, and this is going to help might not in some settings. So um, the process at Wellness is to support the culture of wellbeing. And that that's kind of people might perceive that as a little bit fluffy and a little bit like, yeah, but what is culture and how do we do it? And it's, it is complicated. It is multidimensional, but so much of it um, is driven by the strategic vision of schools. So um, having a strategic vision is is the, the, the first and foremost thing that we need um, to know what meaning and purpose is we have, what vision we've got um, for teaching and learning um, and for all the, the areas of the school community. Um, and we have to also identify that we've got a collective understanding because as you and I have shared, you know, the teachers think one thing, the leaders think something else and vice versa and there's blame and there's this and there's that, that so much of that comes from actually just having a session with a consultant that can come in and actually just educate people. This is what you're responsible for. This is what a workplace is responsible for here's the, here's, here's a, a collective understanding. And now how does, how does this look for you guys now? And actually, and as you've just said, we're talking about schools being surveyed out and darted out. And I think, again, a lot of that has come from the pandemic. There was a lot of surveys coming in to, to help with what happened post pandemic. Um, but we can't assess the current state of wellbeing without it. Because nine times out of 10, if I sit um, and unpack it with teachers and then I sit and unpack it with leaders, they, they think different things. And we have to have a collective. We have to we have to be able to bring them together and that has to be assessed. Um, and we have to work out what's working well and what actually could be even better. Um, we then develop a, a staff wellbeing growth plan. Um, and that is where we get the actionable steps in the implementation. Um, and again, all of these processes are... <laughs> A complicated, and again, I could have a whole podcast that just unpacks this process because there's so much to it, but it's so important that we then use that data and do something with it. Yep. And not only do we do something with that data, but that we align it with the strategic vision of the school. We keep coming back to that vision, that meaning and purpose through the whole process to connect back to that. Um, teacher's voice, administrator's voice, non-teaching staff voice is part of the whole process. Yep. There is not decisions made that's just with leadership that hasn't been inquired um, or, or asked of through through teacher voice. Um, and whether some of those things might look like, Ash, like how we're working in teams, how we're communicating with each other, the policies and procedures that we've got, how we're upskilling staff in the knowledge of wellbeing and their wellbeing toolkit, um, practical strategies for them to support their own wellbeing. We're talking about clear visions, clear missions, trust amongst staff, psychological safety, <laughs> relational support, like it. it it can be a lot um, that we can unpack. And then we just pick priority areas. We just start small um, and then, you know, not dissimilar to the habits and not dissimilar to that ripple effect that we kind of go from there. And then it's all about the measuring growth and revising. So that's kind of like a, I, yeah, I, I wasn't confident to come and say, these are three things schools can do because I really passionately believe that we can't just do that because that's what we call tick box. Yeah. We have to actually unpack and align where things are at with where they, we want them to be based on data that we've got about how the actual environment actually is. Um, and that's a very vulnerable space for a lot of schools to do. And I, I, I take my hat off every day to schools I speak to who are saying, hey, we need your help, please. Mm -hmm. Because that is such a huge step because many are not doing it. 
because they don't they don't want to know the state um, of of how things are going and they're really nervous about what might come of it. Um, and I, yeah, I just take my hat off to the schools that are putting their hand up and and putting the the well being of their staff and wanting their staff to be well at the forefront. Um, as yeah, as an amazing amazing first step. Absolutely, and and I think um, I mean at the at the end of the day, like it's investing. It's, it's like a journey, but you're investing in your staff. And over time, it's kind of a massive positive impact. Like, mm. like it's very plain to see that it, over time, it's not going to happen overnight. But when you collect the data and you're on the same page, you've got that vision, bringing all these things together and actually putting in actionable ideas and plans to execute, that's when it does happen. It could be a five-year plan. It might happen in five, yeah. five years. But yeah. as I said before, like working towards a goal, you might, you're going to be there in five years. So let's work towards something that... Is going to be positive for the staff, but also, and then result. Cool. And just one a question on that. I mean, who do, do you find that schools, some schools actually don't really have a vision or or a strategic plan? Like they might have yeah. like a document, but does anybody actually know what it is? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, yes, I agree with you there. And I also think, I mean, the first thing I do, even if I'm about to have a discovery, like a consultation, I always go onto their website and download and look at at what their vision is. And um, look, eight, I reckon eight eight times out of 10 staff, the word staff wellbeing is there somewhere. (laughs) Um, And then they might say, oh, we've got a staff wellbeing plan. And when we jump on, I, I will say to them, what could, you know, could you share what's on it at the moment? What's the vision with that? And they just sort of look at me. Mm. Um, oh, well, we, you know, we, um, we get some um, chocolates on a Friday and sometimes we get pizza for lunch and, oh, there's a teacher that likes yoga. So they run a session and, you know, it's just all these quick yeah. fix self-care um, practices. And whilst again, that's better than nothing and we have to have them, that is part of our well-being. that self-care is part of it. There's so much more to it. Um, and so again, I think there's just a lack of understanding. There's so much knowledge that's missing in this space that in the in the day and age that we're working in workplaces, it's playing a huge part in people's productivity and their effectiveness and their resilience. And um it's it's huge. Absolutely. Now I think we covered a lot, Amy, and I'm really, yeah. really enjoyed um talking with you. I learned a lot myself. And I think we or we seem to think very similar as well. Um, yeah. We run our own personal lives as well, but also ideas for like schools as well, like particularly Definitely. self-working with staff and, and school or teacher wellbeing as a whole collective, but, and myself personally doing um, work with students, yeah. uh, three-year-old, 103-year-old, these are skills that are relevant for everyone. Um, Absolutely. And so much of the work that that yourself and other people that are working with students are doing are going to upskill them so that when they are our age, hopefully their toolkit is almost overflowing as opposed to what wasn't focused on in education back then and, and what we're now kind of playing catch up on. So the yeah. work that you do um, and, and others in the space to look after students is has just got such incredible value. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you too. Because I think it starts with the teachers though. Like you can't have a good wellbeing program with the students if the teachers yeah. aren't on board and aren't, in the same way themselves because it can be so inconsistent. You've got those three teachers who love it and all over it. And then you've got a few teachers the teachers who, yeah, this is okay. And then yeah. teachers who won't even look at it. Um and it depends on how the school's set up as well. Like it might be a mandatory thing where they have to teach well being to the students. But yeah. At the end of the day, like it really starts with the teachers and um yeah, really enjoyed our conversation. And um how can people get in touch with you, Amy? Um through your website, email, how, how, what's your best way? Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I can send it to you um, to pop in the show notes, but email, absolutely. Um, I'm much more active on LinkedIn than I am on Instagram. So um, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I think that's just such a powerful platform as we know, Ash. Um, so please reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, or you can visit our website. So I'll share that um, that yep. with you and we can just pop it at the yeah at the bottom. Sounds good. I think it's the, is it world-nest.com.au? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, look at you. You're all over it. <laughs> uh, it's been great to chat and um, yeah, I encourage everyone to reach out and get on the web, well, well Nest website and um, yeah, reach out to Amy for um, yeah, to get you, to get her and the team out to the, your school. That's what I'm trying yeah, to say. Absolutely. No, thank you. We actually do, Ash. I just, I just remembered we've just finalized our, a couple of weeks ago, we finalized our 2024 kind of wellness guide of, of options that schools have. So it's just kind of like a great little package that people can just grab. So feel free to shoot me an email and I can flick that through. Yep. Or we can put in the show notes as well if it's a downloadable thing. Yeah. Like. Awesome. Oh, excellent. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Ash. Cheers. And, um, have a great rest of the day. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.